Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The Ukrainian people are united and resilient, and I learned that the EU and NATO are also similarly united. Putin is acting in a highly intentional way because he knows he has leverage from his energy dominance. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We are going to need to rethink our relationships in Western Europe. We do not want to get into a situation where Russia and NATO get into an armed conflict. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Advances in the south of Ukraine in a war now denounced by the U.N. And China is getting closer a day after President Biden used his first State of the Union address to label Vladimir Putin a dictator. Now, Fed Chair Jay Powell adds another layer, saying the war could help determine the way forward on interest rates, part of his testimony today in the House. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics with the latest ahead from Bloomberg National Security Correspondent Bill Ferries and analysis today from Ed Mills, Washington Policy Analyst at Raymond James. He'll be with us in just a moment. And later, we'll turn to Texas where the midterm election season officially got underway last night. Were you paying attention? We'll cover it all with the Sound On panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Back with us today, China leans further away from Russia as Moscow continues shelling cities in the north of Ukraine, including Kyiv, making a push as well into the southern part of the country. The defense minister claiming, the defense minister of Russia, that is, claiming to capture the port city of Kherson. They say they're on the move here. Mariupol, nearby, is under heavy bombardment, could give Russia a land corridor from the Crimean Peninsula to Russia's mainland border, and they say that could happen soon. Enter China. I know we've talked about some of the stuff China, almost tacit approval recently, says it's now, quote, extremely concerned about harm to civilians as Russia continues its invasion. China's foreign minister speaking with his counterpart today in Ukraine. Interesting saying China deplores the outbreak of what it now calls a war rather than a special military operation that we were hearing about. Secretary of State Antony Blinken today calling out Russia for its bombing campaign. Yesterday, Russian strikes in Kyiv struck the capital's main television and radio tower and destroyed part of the Babi Yar Holocaust Memorial. These aren't military targets. They are places where civilians work, and families live. And as the president indicated last night, the State of the Union, this war will likely get worse before it gets better. Latest now from Bloomberg National Security Correspondent 
Bill Ferries with us on Sound On. Bill, thank you for being here. As I read from you on the terminal, the Pentagon says Russia stalled but is learning from its mistakes. How bad could this get in the next couple of days? Well, we're seeing, you know, we've seen a little bit of a pushback. We've seen uh, we've seen a stronger Ukrainian resistance than I think um, some in uh, certainly some in Moscow, but many in the West uh, stronger than they expected. Um, what the Pentagon's saying today is, you know, that fight to go into Kiev or to capture Kiev um, has not played out the way Russia wanted it to, but. Uh, they're still and they're still continuing to have problems with fuel supplies and some food shortages, believe it or not. But they are working to get over those and they're they're diverting forces around some of the trouble spots to try to to try to surround some of these big cities. Yeah, uh, they still have the numbers on their side, ultimately. So uh, it's it's not gone the way they've wanted it to, but they have the numbers to kind of force it to go their way eventually. How important is this new push in the South? As I mentioned, Russia claiming to capture the port city of Kherson, others could follow, and that would give them a a, a, a land route to the Crimean Peninsula, to, to mainland Russia. This could happen imminently. That would open up just a whole different front here for Ukraine. It really would. It would help them flow troops in from another direction. And, you know, also what we're seeing in the East, uh, you know, traditionally before this latest conflict, that's where uh, that's where Ukraine had some of its best and, you know, most professional and strongest forces was out there in the East. If you can really kind of isolate them from the rest of the country, you're going to do severe damage to uh, Ukraine's ability to fight just uh, by keeping those kind of troops out of the fight. I'll tell you, did did the comments today from China make a difference? This is a real change in language. Extremely concerned, deplores the outbreak, calling it a war. Does Vladimir Putin hear this? I'm sure he hears it. Um, And it's very interesting. It makes you wonder whether China felt like they got duped by Putin um, or whether, you know, they uh, just mistrusted the U.S. intelligence so much that they, uh, they kind of blinded themselves to the reality on the ground. Uh, I, I do think Putin hears this. Uh, I don't think it's going to change his game plan in the immediate future. Uh, I think ultimately, you know, longer term, that may uh, help persuade him to open up uh, some sort of, you know, real talks with Ukraine. But I don't think he's going to do that till he has a stronger foothold in the country. So uh, I, I guess in the end, it's it's not going to change his calculus for the, the time period that matters. Bill Ferries is the head of Bloomberg's national security team. And Bill, we thank you for the insights today. As we turn to Ed Mills, Washington policy analyst and managing director at Raymond James, it's great to have you back, Ed. I know you were watching the State of the Union last evening. As President Biden labeled Vladimir Putin a dictator, there was a lot of tough talk that got the whole room up on its feet. But he also seemed to indicate that Americans need to be prepared for worse before it gets better. What are you expecting in the next couple of days? Um, Joe, it's going to be something that uh, absolutely gets worse before it gets better. I think that what's been remarkable over the last uh, number of weeks, we have consistently had events that uh, everyone says cannot happen, but they continue to happen. Uh, The president uh, has tried to... Um, carve out from sanctions, uh, oil, natural gas, other energy aspects of uh, the package. Mm-hmm. But the reality is the financial sanctions here are going to have as much pressure, and Congress is starting to put pressure on the president uh, to go further. Uh, so the economic impact um, and inflation concerns are 
absolutely going to continue at a minimum. And kind of from a humanitarian military crisis, uh, that's where the geopolitical premium uh, continues to add to volatility in the market. Well, speaking of that, we heard from the chair of the Federal Reserve today, Jay Powell, testifying before the House Financial Services Committee, and he actually got to the war in Ukraine, speaking to the uncertainty that this whole situation brings to the trajectory for interest rates. We're dealing with rising energy prices, rising prices for many commodities. Listen to Jay Powell from earlier today. The near-term effects on the U.S. economy of the invasion of Ukraine, the ongoing war, with sanctions, and of events yet to come remain highly uncertain. Making appropriate monetary policy in this environment requires a recognition that the economy evolves in unexpected ways. We will need to be nimble in responding to incoming data and the evolving outlook. So we're obviously still data-dependent and we're war-dependent apparently here, Ed. Are we going to find ourselves in a couple of months watching the Federal Reserve pull back on this tightening regime? You know, I think they continue to tighten. I think that, you know, we heard that we are going to get a 25 basis point move in March. I think that that's not going to be the only increase this year. But I do look to the balance sheet as a way in which the Fed has more tools in their toolkit. I think that they're going to try to do what they can to make sure that there is a steepness to the curve uh, so that we can have um, financial institutions that are profitable uh, and to kind of prop up the economy where necessary. Mm -hmm. But the real concern here is where does this force the Fed's hand uh, if you have inflation that continues, especially through uh, commodity pricing um, and a desire to maybe pull back from that tightening because of the geopolitical risk? That's a very difficult needle to thread. Powell has proven himself in the past. Uh, My expectation is that um, he is the person for the job right now. Because it wasn't hard enough already. Uh, Part of the administration's plan, as you well know, Ed, uh, to curb inflation is to get this China competition bill passed, get the CHIPS Act passed, and try to start investing in domestic chip manufacturing. We heard President Biden talk about this for months. It's still has not been passed. The House and Senate haven't gotten together on this. He called for it again last night. How important is that to get passed in in terms of lowering prices? I know this is a long-term project. Is it ever going to see the light of day? If you put the CHIPS funding on the floor of the House or the Senate tomorrow, it it would pass almost unanimously. The issue here is everything else in the (laughs) China-U.S. competition bill. What don't Republicans like about it? Um, in the House, um, there are provisions that kind of add to some, some new trade policy. Um, Republicans in the House are saying that it doesn't go far enough. Mm. I think the reality here is more political. It's a question, do Republicans want to give Democrats a victory on getting tough with China, yeah. solving supply chain issues, solving semiconductor issues? I think kind of on a political basis, the answer is no. The better Kind of prospects here really are if the Senate gets more involved in the conference negotiations. Mm-hmm. The leading supporter of this is a member of the Republican leadership in the Senate, Senator Cornyn from Texas. So, yeah. Joe, I do think that this has a chance of passing. It just needs to get pushed over the hump and probably some of those extraneous provisions stripped from it. Well, as you wrote in your note to clients about this, the best chance for advancing this legislation remains the bipartisan support, especially in the Senate, to your point just now. For the semiconductor funding, Uh, as it's in conference, though, this thing seems to, you know, the conversation seems to fade out every time we turn to something else. I wonder if both parties 
could take credit for this. Isn't that possible for Republicans to say, hey, look, we we get along with Democrats when it counts? Yes, but I think we are getting closer and closer to an election season where uh, Republicans (laughs) see uh, significant gains and they don't want to give anything uh, to Democrats to reset this. Um, You know, that's what happens any election year. It's very likely to happen again here, Joe. This could be one of the few exceptions. This day after the State of the Union, then, Ed Mills, we have less than a minute left. Did anything that President Biden proposed last night, much of which was, you know, part of Build Back Better that we saw last year, can any of that pass on its own in a midterm election year? Uh, Build Back Better only needs Democratic votes. Manchin has signaled an increased willingness to start negotiating. Uh, My concern about his proposal is it is heavy on tax increases, which is the one thing that Senator Sinema says she can't be. So is he negotiating in good faith or is he offering up the one thing that he knows can't happen? Ed Mills, Washington Policy Analyst, Managing Director at Raymond James. Great insights, Ed, this day after the big speech. We'll assemble the panel next. I think they got some rest. Rick and Jeannie are with us. The signature panel on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Did you hear that headline from Charlie Pellet? Fitch downgrades Russia to junk on ratings watch negative. It just keeps getting worse here for Russia, certainly economically, but it's not changing behavior as we heard today from the chief of staff of the white house he was out early after the big speech last night ron Klain says the u.s sees no signs that vladimir putin has any intentions to withdraw from ukraine forget the talks that you're hearing about Klain spoke 
at the Economic Club of Washington, D.C. with none other than David Rubenstein of Bloomberg's Peer to Peer. Listen to what he said. It hasn't been decided yet what would happen if the Russians withdrew. Uh, again, that'd be part of whatever kind of diplomacy would unwind uh, the crisis in Ukraine. Uh, sadly, uh, this, is a, this, as you say, is a hypothetical question. We see no signs, unfortunately, that the Russians have any intention of withdrawing right now. And indeed, their military operations in Ukraine continue to escalate. This is where we begin with the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis off our special coverage from the State of the Union last night. It's great to see both of you guys back here again. Rick, how does that hit you when you hear the chief of staff speaking like that? He knows intelligence that we don't know about based on what you're seeing in Russia. There's no off-ramp anymore for Vladimir Putin. Yeah, I'm not sure there was ever an off-ramp. I mean, you know, the guy moves 150,000 troops into a country. He's not likely to do it for a weekend, you know, at Bernie's. I mean, they're going to stay for a while, <laughs> and they're going to rape and pillage the government and install their own, uh, 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 you know, sort of flunkies, mm. uh, claiming that, you know, these these are the folks who can really run Ukraine. So I, I, we're in for a long haul. I mean, I, I don't imagine there was uh, any calculation uh, that Vladimir Putin had that he thought he was only going to be in there for a short period of time. Jeannie, how long can President Zelensky stay there? Uh, the President Biden was asked today as he was headed to Marine One on his way to Wisconsin about this. He says, you know, we're in touch with him. We'll do anything uh, that we can to help. But, of course, you know, the famous line now, it's going to be on T-shirts. I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. Uh, that's going to be target number one. He is going to be, as he said himself, for Vladimir Putin. That's a game changer if they kill him, correct? That's right. And and to your point, he's been saying that for, uh, you know, a week or more that he and his family are target number one. Um, you know, there was talk early on uh, that potentially the United States, the West could help them set up an ex a government in exile. He obviously wants to stay in Kiev and fight in Kiev. Yeah. Um, but if he is, you know, God forbid, if 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 he if he is, you know, killed by the Russians, um, you know, that would, to a certain extent, be a game changer. You know, it's unclear at this point what kind of succession is in place there. Should something happen, um, so that is a real concern. And as we see the Russians moving forward, and you talked about this in the first in, in the first block, mm -hmm. into these cities and and these enclaves, it, you know, that is a increasingly realistic possibility. If they capture Zelensky, Rick, does that embolden or, or motivate is a better word Ukrainian troops or is that what Vladimir Putin hopes it is and that's cutting the head off the snake you know I don't think that you can cut the head off this snake this snake is the the Ukrainian people we've already seen all kinds of acts of courage uh, by uh, ordinary citizens taking up arms against the Russian horde mm. uh, and I don't think Vladimir Putin can do anything but make that even more committed. Uh, although at this point in time, I'd have to think that the, the, the country is unified in the struggle against uh, Russia and Vladimir Putin, and, and nothing that happens to the leadership is going to affect that. These are folks who are in for the struggle of their life, and they put their lives on the line. And, 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 and I don't think that changes uh, depending upon what happens to President Zelensky. And, of course, we all hope that he stays safe and continues to be the symbol of freedom in Ukraine. You both had a chance to sleep on the speech. You gave us instant analysis after we heard from Joe Biden in the State of the Union last night. Now that it's had some time to distill, usually feels a little bit different the next day. You hear from other people. You remember lines that you might not have thought about in our post-game show. Jeannie, how did Joe Biden do? We know that he scored on Ukraine. We saw it in the room. There was energy. Both sides were out of their seats. But over the course of that hour, there was a lot he talked about, and he kind of meandered through a lot of it. 
before you know a smashing finish that you're supposed to have the state of our union is strong how did he do last night joe i'm scared to tell you that i did sleep because i know you did <laughs> not because you've been on the air pretty much 24 7 but you know um i i do think i mean we we talked about this last night i i do still think it it was really two speeches in one one that had to be planned sort of last minute the ukrainian part which did get a lot of bipartisan support i was underwhelmed by the speech myself and i think part of it even the ukrainian part is uh, you know i teach about democratic backsliding i'm teaching a class on that right now nobody is better prepared than joe biden to talk about this crisis in europe mm. and something that you just talked to ed mills about really struck me this idea ed said you know we keep thinking these things won't happen and they do i almost got that sense from the speech last night that biden feels a little bit like us like this has happened and it's hard to grasp your head around it and yet i felt like he didn't do enough to prepare the american people for the pain and to educate on why we are there and why it is an interest, paramount interest of the United States and the West to be there. So, you know, I had problems with other parts of, yeah. of the speech too, but I felt in, in the, the Ukrainian part even, I, I was thinking he was better prepared to handle that than I felt like he did. Rick, was it better written or better delivered? Uh, I'm not sure it was better written or better delivered. I mean, it's kind of like Chinese food. You eat it, you're full for a while, and then you wake up next morning hungry. I mean, I woke up this morning hungry. Now I want Chinese food. Rick and Jeannie with us for the hour, our signature panel on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew at World Headquarters in New York. We turn to the primaries. Did you miss it in Texas last night? Greg Giroux will be with us. We'll check markets and traffic next. This is Bloomberg. So in Texas, at least the governor's race is set. Republicans sent a message. They want to keep Texas the land of opportunity and prosperity for yeah. absolutely everybody. This group of people and then some are going to make me the first Democrat to be governor of the state of Texas since 1994. Uh, how about it? Beto O'Rourke, Greg Abbott were off and running. And yeah, Democrats seem to think they have big plans here for the state of texas known of course for being deep red but maybe not forever although they didn't quite have the night they were hoping for we've got a bunch of races as you look down ballot that are going to be going to a runoff here the future of the bush name in texas politics is at stake and we're joined to talk about all of this by greg Giroux, bloomberg government's elections reporter greg thanks for being with us i know you had a late night as well waiting for some of these counties to come in last night what was what was the biggest surprise in texas well, I think the headline immediately after the primary was that two U.S. Two US House members who uh, failed to win a majority of the vote in their primaries were thrust into runoff elections. Yeah. That will be held in May. They are Democrat Henry Cuellar and Republican Van Taylor. But in a major development since then, Van Taylor, oh, who's man. a two-term Republican and a Marine Corps veteran from the Dallas suburbs, yeah. be uh, careful abruptly, here, ended, abruptly ended his campaign and is not uh, competing in the May runoff in which, into which he was forced. That, after winning uh, less than 50 percent of the vote against four opponents. It was a pretty so, grisly story about him earlier today. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. Um, he was already struggling to win a majority in that primary, in part because his opponents questioned his loyalty to Donald Trump. But that race was rocked uh, by the congressman ending his campaign after acknowledging Wednesday afternoon, the day after the primary on Tuesday, that he had an extramarital affair. Uh, so this shocking development, um, in effect, hands the Republican nomination to the second place finisher in that primary. Incredible. Let's just say we're not going to read the texts to you on the air 
uh, Greg, don't worry, we're not going to do that. Henry Cuellar, though, a fixture in politics in Texas, couldn't get it done. He's going to a runoff as well. That's right. Uh, Henry Quare is a longtime moderate blue dog congressman in a broader district that includes Laredo, part of San Antonio. And he was in a rematch with Jessica Cisneros, a progressive immigration lawyer and a former Quare intern who was backed by politically liberal organizations and by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in what was a rematch of a 2020 primary that Quare won by four points. This one was closer and Quare failed to reach 50 percent plus one about 48 percent of the vote. Uh, Cisneros about 47 percent. And then a third candidate whose views are much closer to Cisneros's than to Cuellar's got about 5 percent. So if Cisneros can coalesce that vote, um, the progressive vote in the next 12 weeks, she has a good shot of unseating Henry Cuellar in that runoff in May. That would be a big deal. How much of an impact did uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez have in these races? It's hard to say. Um, You know, Clearly, she's a big draw for the progressive groups. Um, I believe, you know, Cisneros' campaign um, probably thinks that uh, she's you know, clearly a, a big draw for the progressive uh, left, and she's certainly a big name uh, in, uh, in in Democratic uh, progressive politics. Hard to say how many votes she moved on her own, but yeah. you know, she is someone who is going to get uh, get your campaign media attention and probably probably some campaign bucks as well. Well, I suspect that uh, Congressman Cuellar having the FBI raid his campaign office and his home did not help his outcome last night that's right it's very possible he was weakened by that uh, fbi searching his home and his campaign office in late january so just weeks before the vote yeah. it's part of a probe we don't really know much about but um yeah he's gonna he's gonna have a tough time trying to uh, win that runoff um uh, given he just won about 48 percent of the vote and uh if as i mentioned if cisneros can coalesce that vote uh, if she can win the votes of the uh, candidate who came in third place, mm-hmm. uh, she has a very good chance of That's gonna be a uh, race to dethroning watch. Henry Quare. That's going to be a race wow. to watch May 24th. It's already on. Now, the race for attorney general, I realize this is we're getting a little bit more local here statewide, but also extremely important with the future of the Bush name kind of on the line here in Texas politics. Uh, Bush, the name Bush and Trump, they tend not to go together too well, but George P. Bush really grabbed onto the the Trump mantle here and tried to make something of it. It also is another race where, in this case, the incumbent Ken Paxton is being investigated as well, Greg. That's right. It was a four-way primary for the Republican attorney general's race. Ken Paxton uh, came in first, but he fell well below the majority vote needed to avoid a runoff. He only got about 43% of the vote. The anti-Paxton vote was divided among three candidates led by George P. Bush, who got about 23% of the vote. So this does not bode well for Ken Paxton if George P. Bush can uh, consolidate the anti-Paxton vote in that runoff. But it's really striking that you know, Paxton is trying to end uh, what his supporters have called the Bush dynasty in Texas. Mm. It's clear that uh, Donald uh, Trump, uh, who's a backer of Ken Paxton and vice versa, uh, there's no love lost between uh, Trump and the yeah. Bush family. Right. Uh, just remembering not too long ago how how dominant George W. Bush was in it's Texas Republican term. politics. It really is incredible how politics have changed the last generation. This is, this is Jeb, exclamation points, son. Hey, Greg, we have less than a minute left. We haven't talked about the race for governor. Does Beto O'Rourke, does a Democrat have a chance at, in, in this political environment to win the corner office in Texas? Not a great chance in this political environment. Beto O'Rourke, of course, the former congressman, uh, ran a very close race against Senator Ted Cruz in 2018. 
Uh, but 2022 is a different political environment. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, Democrats control of of everything, and you know, in, in an environment like that. Um, you know, Republicans are probably, as the opposition party, are probably going to do better than they would in 2018. So you have to rate Greg Abbott a favorite, not an overwhelming yep. one, but a favorite nonetheless. You got it from Greg Giroux. Great talk, Greg. Great reporting. Find his work on the terminal. Bloomberg government elections reporter. How about it? Midterms are off and running. Looking forward to digging into this with Rick and Jeannie. The panel reassembles next. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Bird Radio. Had to check to see how Donald Trump did last night in Texas as well. I mean, he wasn't on the ballot, but he was certainly involved in a lot of races. Thanks for being with us on Bloomberg Sound on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew at World Headquarters in New York. Mr. Trump's record, as I read in the New York Times, was mixed. The former president endorsed 33 Texas Republicans ahead of their primaries, virtually all of them widely expected to win before receiving the endorsements. As of this morning, all of Mr. Trump's picks for Congress were on pace to win their nominations but there were others. We talked about them with Greg Giroux, Attorney General Ken Paxton, endorsed by Trump, and Don Buckingham. Donald Trump's choice for land commissioner both headed to runoffs in May after failing to get more than 50% of the vote. But he kicked out a message that said, Big night in Texas! Exclamation point. All candidates that were Trump-endorsed have either won their primary election or are leading in the case of a runoff. Let's reassemble the panel and get their take on this before we move on to other things. Primary season underway. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us, Bloomberg Politics contributors. 
progressives were going for a big win, a long ball here, Jeannie. They didn't quite get as much as they wanted. They didn't, but they did fairly well. I mean, for Texas, you, yes, right? For Texas, yes. I mean, you have possibly three liberal progressive democrats who could <laughs> be gingerly here who could make it into the house so mm-hmm. you know that is uh that is good for progressives but potentially not so good for the democratic party if they need moderates um you know but i do think it speaks to the fact that whether you're talking about republicans or democrats so many of districts across the country are now gerrymandered that people are running to the left and right by one report about 90 percent of the next house is going to be occupied by lawmakers who have no threat in the general election i mean that's an astonishing figure if it holds up rick what do you make of the two runoffs that we were talking about the quayar race the ken paxton george p bush race is uh, do they have any cross currents here with with incumbents being investigated by authorities uh, well, certainly that doesn't help the incumbent I in their think. numbers. <laughs> uh, and and uh, those other shoes are still left to drop. So that could obviously impact the uh, the primary runoffs. Uh, you know, I think it's amazing that there's so much discussion about these progressives. I mean, you know, when you talk about the squad, it's half a dozen people. Yes. I mean, if they win a couple of these, you know, primaries in, uh, in Texas, they could almost double their presence in the House of Representatives. <laughs> Literally hands full. They might even get it up to 10. Um, it's it's the biggest nothing burger I've ever seen. Wow. Um, you know, uh, and, and look, in contrast, Donald Trump uh, uh, endorses 30 some odd people and they mm-hmm. all win a primary uh, and, and, and they are likely to be in the majority in the House. How about so, Beto O'Rourke? Uh, you know, look, I think I think one thing to look at is how many people voted in the primary. I mean, less than a million people voted in the Democratic primary for for Beto O'Rourke and the Democrats and almost two million voted in the Republican primary. And you could argue that that was a more formed primary than the Beto O'Rourke one. So if I'm Democrats, I'm wondering, like, where are we going to get another million just to get even to what turned out in the Republican primary? Yeah. doesn't bode well for him. Is it the end of the uh, Bush line in Texas politics or? Does he have a good chance then, Rick? Well, I think the FBI can help George P. out That's a right. lot. <laughs> and uh, and look, I mean, the other candidates were were anti, I wouldn't say anti-Trump, but they certainly weren't like pro-Trump like Paxson was. Yeah. And so uh, you combine that that score and you can wind up with a win there. Uh, I, could, I could see an upset. And then the narrative is, oh, the establishment's back. Even though George P. was really uh, cultivating uh, the Trump vote while he was running in the primary. I want to bring you both back to last night. And it's for something we haven't talked about yet. And I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with our listeners as we're talking about this live on the air. I didn't want to bring it up last night because we had bigger and more important things to talk about. But we have to talk about the heckling that happened in the State of the Union. Uh, We all remember Joe Wilson, of course. Last night was a whole different thing. This is different than you lied. Remember, we were all wondering, hey, what the heck? It It didn't come across on the mic quite in the same way. But seeing the images this morning of Lauren Boebert, a uh, Republican from Colorado, of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene, standing up yelling ferociously uh, at the president while he's speaking. Let's go back to when the president was talking about this, this portion of the speech about our military veterans, some of whom uh, were, were getting diseased. He even referred to his own son, Bo Biden, because of these burn pits that are, that, are, that are putting all kinds of toxins in the air, getting our soldiers and Marines sick. And somebody starts yelling in the middle of it. Here's Joe Biden last night. A cancer that would put them in a flag draped coffin. I know. One of those, one of those soldiers was my son, Major Bo Biden. 
13, she yelled, referring to the 13 Americans who were killed at the Abbey Gate when the bomb went off in Afghanistan during those awful days during the withdrawal. But it happened during a moment in which the commander-in-chief was trying to pay tribute to our troops who are serving in harm's way. There was booing as well from these two lawmakers. And I just go back to what happened. Gosh, it's more than a few years ago now. President Barack Obama, the State of the Union, Joe Wilson, you lied. Here's what it sounded like. There are also those who claim that our reform efforts would ensure illegal immigrants. This, too, is false. The reforms, the reforms I'm proposing would not apply to those who are here illegally. You lie. Yeah. Played a little differently that time. And of course, by this time, the next day, he had apologized and this whole thing was swirling. He was then, of course, as well censured by the House. I wonder what Rick and Jeannie think about this. Jeannie, it didn't disturb the speech. I don't know if Joe Biden didn't hear that or if he just decided to keep plowing ahead. But should there be some recourse for heckling in the State of the Union? There should be in the House. And I have to say, you you, you look online, they were labeled uh, Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets, <laughs> the hecklers. They were labeled dumb and dumber. I think that fits in both cases. And oh, Jen Psaki said it right. It, it speaks more to them than to anything else. And they should be held responsible. The House has rules. Dignity is required in the State of the Union. You don't scream out. You're supposed to be governing, not heckling. Well, it, but it also has to do with the subject matter, doesn't it, Rick? How did that hit you when you actually learned what happened? Yeah, it's embarrassing. I mean, uh, first of all, he was talking about an issue that had great bipartisan support. Uh, there was absolutely no politics involved in the discussion he was having. Uh, it, it was incredibly disrespectful. I agree with Jeannie. There, there needs to be decorum. Kevin McCarthy should be called on the carpet for not admonishing one of the members of his There's caucus. There's still time for that. I, I think that I think that is the case. She should apologize, and Kevin McCarthy should 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 met out some form of punishment. This, was this different than Joe Wilson, Rick? No, it's the same. But uh, I think we're entering a period of time where, uh, you know, if if leaders in these caucuses don't take action, then then why not just have a free for all? Right. And, yeah. and, and let's let's literally show the world just how uh, far into decay we can we can well, we, we can, can throw descend. eggs next year, maybe, Jeannie. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I just don't know how you stop this this kind of corrosion that we it just seems to get a little bit lower each time it does and and, you know they should be held responsible but to go back to what we just talked about with texas when you have nine out of ten house members potentially with no general election challenge people are running to the left and the right this is structurally what the outcome is the incentives and pressures have Mm. changed the need to compromise because they're going to raise money on this right they're going to raise money they're not interested in governing they might as well go start a youtube channel because this is what they're doing out there and it's it it's it's not appropriate for the house and it doesn't serve the american people or their districts got a future in show business i have to be honest rick i wasn't sure how you were going to respond uh and now it sounds like you know this is this is natural rick davis here but i remember for instance some politicians being accosted on the street or kirsten cinema in the bathroom that time and you had indicated that this is kind of you know it's a full contact sport this is politics this is what you get in this world how is this different than that 
Yeah, look, I think there's a time and a place for everything. I love protests. I think this <laughs> absolutely uh, uniquely American thing. It's yeah. why we have freedoms. Uh, but you don't you don't do it on the floor of the House of Representatives during the State of the Union. Right. Um, I mean, like, so we're not animals, right? Case. I mean, like, who's her mother? Call her up and say, what did you do to raise this woman this way? Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure I'll get some bad feedback on that. But, like, can we not create a few limits to what we're going to yeah. do? I mean, I'm all for full contact politics. But you don't do it on the floor of the House right. of Representatives during the State of the Union. I'd be in so much trouble with my mother. Rick and Jeannie, thank you. March, as we have reminded you, is Women's History Month. And this is the moment we want to hear from Renita Young. We're doing this every day this month, celebrating significant moments. Oh, we'll hear from Renita. On this I day guess in women's later. history in 1903, the Martha Washington Hotel opens in New York City on East 29th Street, making it the first hotel in the area exclusively for women. All the employees were women with chaperones and a hostess on site at all times. Men, even doctors and priests, were only allowed on the first floor restaurant. The opening of the Martha Washington Hotel was the peak of more than 50 years of poor treatment of women travelers in the United States. Prior to the Civil War and during the 19th century, people looked at female guests who traveled alone with suspicion. So the Martha Washington Hotel marketed itself as a venue catering especially to women traveling or visiting New York alone. That's Today in Women's History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. All right. Great to hear from Renita. With apologies to Statler and Waldorf, many thanks to the panel. Rick and Jeannie, we'll talk to you again right here tomorrow. I'm Joe Matthew. Bloomberg Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.